Welcome to this episode of Turdy for Turdy. Make sure to let us know how we're doing. Please, for the love of God, somebody email us. You can either email us at tftpod2018 at gmail.com or you can hit us up on the, the Twitter at turdy for turdy And um, let's get ready to fumble. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Turdy for Turdy. I'm Andrew. That's Maher. Hello. And I'm going to be reading him a story that he might know a little bit about, but I doubt that he knows the details that I do of this. I'm excited about this one. I'm excited that you're excited. And when you were describing, you know, not what you were doing, but, you know, just, you know, the amount of research I got extra excited. Yeah, I wrote a book on this one. Um, so, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago we talked about our friend and maybe our hero, Jerry Jones. It's like early Jerry's our hero, late Jerry sucks ass. I Do feel like... If, that? Um, yeah, early Jerry I mean, was cool. Yeah, he's, you know, you got to respect his tenacity. Um, I don't respect his ethics, but, you know, he's got some, he's got some spunk. But he doesn't have any ethics, so that's what makes him fun. <laughs> business ethics? It's, I mean, he's not a businessman, he's a business man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, we had so much fun doing the Jerry Jones one that I thought, you know, I was like, okay, I did the Cowboys I'm not a Cowboys fan. You're not a Cowboys fan, but everybody knows Jerry. I was like, I, I, I thought about it and I was thinking, you know, it would be fun if we did something close to my heart, something that's very similar to Jerry Jones in the way that we set it up, but very different in the end. And that's what brings us to today's episode about Dan Snyder, owner of the Washington Redskins. Wow, I feel like all we talk about in this podcast is the the Cowboys and the the Redskins. We've talked about them twice. You got to let it go. Also, this is three. Oh, this is three. Okay, fine. Also, um, after this, we'll we'll put a stop to Redskin stuff. But I think you're going to enjoy it today. And the other reason I thought about it is last week he was in the news quite a bit because he bought a hundred million dollar yacht with an IMAX theater in it, first ever floating IMAX. Wow. Did you hear about a, that? I heard they bought a $100 million yacht, but, you know, I'm assuming he just paid $100 million for it, and it's going to either sink right away or, you know, just not operate correctly. I feel like but it's going to be... going to have, like, a long, you know, contract on it to where he has to pay it off over time, so he'll just end up being, you know, more and more screwed on it. What movie was it where they broke the champagne bottle on the ship and then the ship sank? Was that Caddyshack? I think it was Caddyshack. <laughs> I would love to see that happen to Dan Snyder. That'd be pretty funny. So obviously, um, to me, that wasn't that big of a storyline. If we put the put the notes down, everything for a minute. So to me, that wasn't that big of a deal. Like man's got the money, let him do it. But a lot of people were really pissed about that. A lot Why, of Redskins like fans were furious that he bought that boat because they felt like he should be putting a hundred million dollars into fixing the concession stands at FedEx Field, which are trash or something, you know, just putting it back into the team. I don't blame him for that. It's cool. If he wants to buy a $100 million yacht, that's fine. But it's not the same money I'm imagining. I'm imagining he has his own personal wealth and then the team has their business. You're 100% correct. So what made me think about doing this story today is it was like, you see all these people get irrationally angry over something that, they can't control and in my mind i was like you know i know all the stuff that dan steyer did i've followed it for for years but i've never sat down and read about all of it in a couple of days and just refresh my memory of like everything that he's ever done wrong and i did that and now i'm pissed about the yacht <laughs> but um another thing is he probably didn't own that stadium like all owners like to make cities pay for the stadiums that they pretty much solely use and actually uh, then get mad when they move actually he owns a rather large chunk of that stadium because he brought it bought it from the previous owner huh well we'll, we'll talk about that when we fun, get into fun it. facts 
So we start our episode in Maryland. So he's from the area. That's always a good sign. You want an owner from the area. That means he's going to care, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then the year was 1964. So in tradition of our normal, um, in our normal tradition, the top song of 1964 was I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles. And the Best Picture Award winner of that year was Tom Jones, a movie I had never heard of. Wait. Yep, Tom that's Jones a movie, and, oh. not, not the singer. It's a movie. Oh, I know. Is it about I Tom Jones? I did the Jones? same thing. I like double tick when I saw that. No, it's not about Tom Jones. It. This is two week, two like weeks in a row that you've mentioned a a movie that sounds like a an a song artist, you know, or a song. Yeah, last week it was Amadeus. <laughs> and the funny thing about um, Tom Jones is, I usually I kind of look because I know you're going to ask me what the movie's about. Like we've been down this road before. And normally I look, but this was like a, it looked like a teenager kind of set in old London times. And he was like in front of a crowd of people. And that's all I can tell you about it. Cause I didn't look into any information. So if you want to find out what the movie Tom Jones is about, probably going to need to look that up yourself. What if it's about a guy named like Frank? Oh, I got it. His name's Frank. His brother's Tom Jones and he steals his identity, marries his wife. And raises a family with his brother's family. It actually isn't that uncommon in history. I mean, usually the other brother, the brother's dead or something. But, you know, to each their own. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. All right. So Jerry, Jerry and Arlette Snyder, a Jewish family that lived in Silver Spring. They were a Jewish family that lived in Silver Spring, Maryland. And they had a son uh, on November 23rd of 1964. That kid's name was Daniel. Daniel, my brother. Is he was? Is he a proud um, pretzel heiress? <laughs> Actually, no. That would be great if they were the Snyder pretzels people. That would. This is gonna sound stupid. You thought they were I the Snyder pretzels? I kind of people, assumed it, that was how he got his money. It. No. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Jerry was a writer for the United uh, United Press International and National Geographic. He was. Um, he wasn't like a full-time writer. What do you call that? Like a freelance. He was a freelance writer. Or like a contributor contributor. Yeah, or something like he like wrote that. articles and would send it in, and they'd either pick it up or turn it down. So money wasn't really um, something that the family necessarily had loads of. Um. So Dan actually, in a couple interviews, talks about walking down to the TV store in his neighborhood with his father to catch the Redskins game. So, like, they didn't have the money for their own TV, so they would go watch it through the storefront windows. Man, life was so much simpler back then. Uh, when Daniel was 12 years old, his father got um, got an offer to write a book, but the little little caveat on that was that they had to move to Great Britain. So the whole family moved to Henley on Thames, which was is near London. And while is it Thames or Thames? Thames. I'm sorry. I always do that. I'm a, I used to be a world geography teacher, and I always end up pronouncing that wrong. Well, I mean, there, you could that ha- might have more to do with just the education system in America. This isn't about that. Okay, uh, Daniel went. To, I just want some pretzels because these facts are making me thirsty. Twisting your head in a pretzel. Yeah. Uh, So while uh, they were in Great Britain, Daniel went to private school, but by age 14, um, he moved back home to live with his grandmother. The rest of the family was going to move back a year later. So he moved first, went to live with his grandmother in Queens, New York. And then, like I said, the rest of the family came home and they all moved back to Maryland when the rest of the family got home. Is it it ironic or just coincidental or something that you moved from England to Queens? Because they both have queens. Hold on a second. Let me put this down. Good one. Okay. Thank you. I that was really <laughs> that bad. was mean. I'm sorry. That that like I died a little inside. <laughs> yeah, I bet you, you do. Know, I need some comfort pretzels. So, so when they got back to Maryland, they uh he went to Woodward uh, High School in Rockville, Maryland. That's where he graduated. 
And he also got his first job, which was working at a bookstore in the mall. I hope he didn't, you know, make the pages stick together Jerry-esque style. Speaking of Jerry, Snyder was, um, Dan Snyder was also very ambitious when he was younger. At age 17, he uh, he and his father started a business. Was it pizza? Please no, tell God, me it was it pizza. pizza. <laughs> Him and his father started selling bus trip packages for Washington Capitals games. And that was the, they were selling bus tickets to Capitals games in Philadelphia. So I tried to look. Wait, so who was in Philadelphia? They the were Flyers, the, the Capitals. Flyers. So they were selling bus tickets for people to ride the bus from Maryland to Philadelphia to watch the Capitals and Flyers play. So they only did it a couple, so it was like, what, six times a year then, or however yeah, many times yeah. those teams play? <clears throat> yep. Four? I don't know. I forget how it works in hockey. I believe it would be like two times. They play four times, oh, and then they yeah. go away too, so it'd be like two games. I couldn't find much information on that. I actually did look to see if there was more on it, because I saw a couple of little... Like on not as reputable sites, I saw a couple of things about that business venture and it didn't go very well. So I wanted to find out well, more to see like what exactly went wrong, but I couldn't really find find too much other than that it was a complete and total failure. Well, my question, I have a lot of questions is like, were they selling them for another company or did they buy some janky ass buses? And I have no idea. I that want way? That's exactly all the information. I want to know exactly how it worked and I just couldn't find it other... The only thing I could find from reputable sources was that they sold bus trip packages to Philadelphia for Washington Capitals Philadelphia Flyers games, and that it failed. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you get that many like traveling diehard hockey fans. I'm not sure how you make money on that, by the way, because like if people can buy the bus tickets cheaper from the company that actually has the bus, why would you not just do that? Well, maybe they had their bus. Maybe they, you know... Maybe they knew a guy who had a bus, and he just let them borrow it, or maybe you know they rented them from a school or something. Yeah, I uh, I wish I knew more, but maybe they stole them from a blind school and used them to you know drive cross country. <laughs> and they used the blind bus drivers. That was why that's it why failed. It yeah, <laughs> there we go. That's why it didn't work out. So um, a little bit of failure didn't really scare Dan too much. Um, at age twenty, he dropped out of college and began to run his own business. Uh, this is a different business, and this is in his business venture. This time was he was leasing jets to fly spring ba- breakers in Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale to the Caribbean. He likes. He's really on the like transportation, uh, rental or leasing industry, which seems weird because, if, especially if he owns the business, because usually you have to own those things, which requires a lot of capital. <laughs> What's great about it is. Um, well, well, we'll talk about it. I want to save that thought for a minute because you'll see what I'm talking about anyway. I'm just trying to think, like, these things don't really make sense just to kind of, like, lightly dabble in. Yeah, no, it's weird. So, uh, Snyder claimed that he and his friends ran uh, ran this uh, business out of his parents' bedroom, and they added a couple of phone lines into the bedroom and basically made his parents' room his office. Where were his parents at, though? I have no idea. Never said that. But um, <laughs> apparently they cleared $1 million at a point, so it was actually relatively successful. I would like, say it's very successful, actually, considering what they're doing. Everything you're saying is just making me have more questions, thinking, like, like were his parents still in the room? Like, did he just work around the bed? Like, did they have furniture? You know, I'm. I just. I got more questions than answers here, but well, we'll we'll get to a part where there's more answers than questions later. But right now, yeah, it's all the early Dan Snyder stuff is you can find the basic ideas, but you never can figure out the the full facts. And that's one of those that um, I just found and read. It was like, okay, let me look into this, and all of a sudden, there's no more information on that. It's basically three sentences is what I found. So. Um, Snyder, after that, he went into another business that he started called Campus USA, which was a magazine aimed at college students. So if you haven't guessed, what I was going to say earlier is he's very into, like, the college party-style businesses at first. He likes the party, man. Selling bus trips. You know those were drinking on those bus trips, so that's basically a party. The the Jets, that's a party uh, to the Caribbean. I mean... A, ca- a magazine for college kids like Dan Snyder might be the original uh, 
the original uh, frat boy entrepreneur. Wait, I thought you said they went to Fort Lauderdale. No, they flew the out Caribbean. of Fort Lauderdale to the oh. Caribbean. But he ran that in Maryland? Yes. Uh, okay, I'm just not, I'm going on. So, uh, anyway, when he started Campus USA, he wanted to get um, a guy named Mortimer, Mortimer Zuckerman involved. So Zuckerman owned... A Jewish name or sounding name? Yeah. He owned the U.S. News and World Report, and he had been interested in getting into, like, the college news or magazine business. Like, he, he had he had wanted to find something that was news-related and aimed at college kids. So this was perfect. So he and his co-publisher, Snyder and his co-publisher, or I'm sorry, Zuckerman and his co-publisher uh, for the, the magazine company, uh, invested $3 million into Snyder's Campus USA magazine idea. But, unfortunately, the magazine failed to get the paid advertising it needed to keep the doors open, so after two years, it closed down. Okay. Zuckerman hated Dan Snyder at that point. He thought he was a loser. He cost him $3 million. Was not a fan of old Danny Boy. Remember that. That's going to come up again later. I'm expecting this to like not come up for like 20 years, and then we're going to be like way down the line, and this dude's just going to pop back up again. Just remember Zuckerman. In 1989, Dan and his sister Michelle started a wallboard business uh, with money that was invested from their father. Did you say waterboard? Wallboard. What is a wallboard? A wallboard is basically a billboard that goes inside of a building. So, you know, like at the airport, you see those advertisements, like in the illuminated, like the shadow boxes with ads in them, basically, that has like the lights in the back that lights up. Can I point out that these are all like very specific things, you know, in an industry that has usually like companies that own that stuff don't just do only those. They do like billboards and you know, other advertisements, too. Well, you got to start somewhere. That's still... It just seems like he, he just does something very super-duper specific and weird every time. So his dad, Jerry, had to take out a second mortgage to fund his children's new business. So he basically got his parents' house on the line on this one. Well, he's already using their bedroom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Might as well sell the house. So... uh the the two Snyders, the brother and the sister, focused on doctor's offices first because their thought process was that at a doctor's office they had a captive audience. Uh, um, I don't think I've ever seen any advertisement on the wall at a doctor's office. Hey, well, just you know, inspirational posters. You know, the Snyders were hitting an interesting jokes. market. Well, I guess if you don't see them, that means there theoretically is a market for them, right? True. Also, I feel like those wallboards, because I have seen them and I knew what they're talking about, but they always kind of like subliminally advertise. Like, you'll look at them if you're in the office, but usually you don't ever think about it. And then next thing you know, you're like on Amazon buying a bunch of stuff you don't need. And you're like, why did I buy this? Oh, wait, that damn billboard in the doctor's office. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen one of those outside of like, you know, a mass transportation area or you know, a, a a sports venue or, you know, something like that, like a large gathering of people, malls. Uh, they also place these advertisements in colleges as well, so they put these wall boards up in colleges. Colleges are another place I've seen them. Um, to help themselves stand out, they begin to give product samples out of whatever they were advertising, so they would hire people to go stand by these wall boards and hand out like samples of products, whether it was like shampoo or soap, stuff like that. <laughs> so that was actually a good move because that made them really stand out from other advertising companies and, you know, businesses and you know, people that made, made these products actually really enjoyed what they were doing because it was getting their product out to, to people. The company would go on to be named Snyder Communications LP. Uh, after they started the company, it continuously grew. Uh, they began to acquire businesses that specialized in product sampling. So they would, any company they found that would produce like the little bottles or little samples of whatever product they were selling, they started actually buying those companies. That way they could produce their own samples. That's smart. Um, so, for example, 
Here's an example of stuff they did. When new mothers were sent home from the maternity wards of the hospital that Snyder had his wallboards in, the mother would receive a goodie bag of essential products. And these bags were done completely through Snyder Communications. Everybody loves monopolies. So they were, I mean, they were done, they did a really good job of advertising. They, they were aggressive, is I guess what I'm trying to say. They were aggressive about what they were uh, advertising. As the company expanded, they got into every type of advertising you can think of. Revenue of their company, Snyder Communications, grew from $2.7 million in 1991 to $4.1 million in 1992. And by 1993, it was valued at $9 million. In 1996, Snyder became the youngest CEO of a New York stock exchange company at the age of 32. Uh. Remember I said, remember Zuckerberg or Zuckerman. Well, Zuckerman and Drasner, the two guys from before, Drasner was the co-publisher I mentioned earlier. The two guys from before uh, were given stock in Snyder, uh, Snyder Communications to, uh, to kind of, um, he did it to ease the tension from the bad investment before. So it was actually it'd be kind more of to a avoid. cool move by Snyder because he was like, okay, I know I screwed you guys over before, but my business is doing pretty well. So here's some stock in it to say no hard feelings for the three million I lost earlier. To me, that almost feels more like just so they don't try to sue him or anything later on. Not not like it was good intention. Like let's just get rid of these people. I mean, I guess, and I understand that, but at the same time, I don't think he would have legally had to have done anything like that. I mean, he no, he couldn't he have been sued. Su- well, he did, but I don't think he could have been sued either because it was just a failed business venture. Like he didn't lie to him; it just didn't work. I don't know. People who run successful companies don't just do things out of their kindness of the heart, unless there's a tax write-off. Anyway, it worked out for Zuckerman because the stock that he gave them ended up being valued at over five hundred million dollars. Wow, that's a a lot of stock. So, um. His parents also made around $60 million off of the investment that they put in. Um, they put up their house and they only made $60 million on it? What the hell, only? man? Only? Hell, give me $60 million. I mean, did you say $60 million or $60,000? million. Oh, okay. I, I heard things wrong. Yeah, I was, was like, going to say, holy shit. Terrible. They put up probably like thirty dollars or $40,000 at that time and walked away with $60 million. That's a damn fine investment. You notice how I heard one thing and then said something yeah, else? Yeah, yeah. By 1998, Snyder Communications was worth a billion dollars and had over 12,000 employees. One billion dollars. A French advertising group called Hava, Havas, Havas, or Havas, or Havas, H-A-V-A-S, bought Snyder Communications for over two billion dollars in, in 2000. Well, this answers how, where he got money. Snyder personally took home around $300 million when he sold Snyder Communications. Good for him. In May of 1999, Snyder bought the Redskins and Jack Kent Cook Stadium for around $800 million following the death of Jack Kent Cook, the former owner. Wait, but how did he get the extra you know, $500 million? We're going to talk about that right now. The path to owning the team wasn't easy for him. There were, at the time, and I'll save your questions for you because I'll, I'll break down this whole thing for you here. No, I ain't going to stop you at inconvenient times and ask you all my little piddly-ass questions. That's fine. We can do it that way, too. Uh, there were around four groups bidding for the team, um, and one of those even included former coach Joe Gibbs. Snyder originally partnered up with uh, Howard and Edward Milstein, um, and that was one of the purchasing group was run by the Milstein brothers. Uh, he joined up as a junior partner with them. The financing was solid with the Milsteins, like really solid. They, they should have had it, but the other NFL owners were not fans of the two brothers, um, that had made all their money in real estate. When the NFL owners declined the bid, Snyder decided to start his own bid for the Redskins. He had to borrow most of the money, including $340 million from a French investment bank and $150 million, he put $155 million of debt onto the stadium. So he basically financed the stadium and then borrowed $340 million from a French investment bank. How did he finance a stadium he didn't own? 
Well, or you know, take money out of that. I I'm before he bought the that, team. That seems like it had to be like a post buy thing. You you would think so, but the way it was written, it really sounded like it was just he was basically like, I have all the money here for the team, and then I'll just pay the stadium off as we go, and they accepted that. So annual loan costs for um, for the team, which would be the money he used on the stadium, was around fifty million dollars a year. So Snyder flew all around the country to meet with the owners and gain their approval. He learned a lot from when he was with the Milsteins in, in the fact that you have to kind of like smooth over the owners um, and you have to get them to be on your side because so at the end of the day, they're the ones that either say yay or nay. So he did a much better job than the Milsteins did of getting everybody on his side. So... Um, that was ended up being what got him the team, that move right there, taking the time to get to know the owners. So when they met to vote on Dan Snyder's bid, it was actually approved 31 votes to none. So he did a damn good job. Wow, that's, yeah, you know, it's, wait, 31 votes? There was, there was only 31 tombs at the time. The Texans didn't exist yet. But my question is, will there only be 30 vo- votes because there was no owner? Or is the commissioner count in there? Well, that was... Yeah, that's the commissioner is the other one. That's what confused me. Yeah, yeah I was no, like, it's Wait, 30 teams. 30 other teams, and then the commissioner. As at, after the vote was approved, Snyder got so excited that he called his father as he was walking out of the meeting... But when he did that, he rushed past all the reporters that were waiting to talk to him. So he walks out of the meeting. There's all these people waiting for him to do a press conference to talk about buying the team. And he just walks past the press conference to call his dad and tell him he got the team. That's actually pretty funny. (laughs) Well, not to the media. They took it as an insult. And some of the first articles they wrote about him said that he was smug and too good to talk to um, D.C. reporters. That just sounds like somebody who's clueless, yeah. but he might be, you know, he might have actually been, you know, I mean, he's a dick. Now, I mean, I, so. I, I sympathize with a couple of things early on, because if I bought the Redskins, I would be so ecstatic, too. I'd be like, look, this is a huge deal for me. This shows just how far I've made it. Like, I don't want to talk to reporters right now. I want to enjoy the moment. And, but you have right. to know that you've, you've got to know that you have to talk to the well, media after at that. that point you should have pr people and you know someone nudging you i also imagine if you ever had to give like a press conference after something you would just go up there like talking as cartoony little girly voice like your hands and like awkwardly high ricky bobby positions you <laughs> I, know, bought like, kids. I, I bought the redskins i bought the redskins i've got the redskins popping your peas real loud i got and, my team uh as you'll as the world found out later on uh it a lot of that was because he was excited, and the other small part of it was he's not a fan of the camera, and he's terrible at handling media. Dan Snyder is not Jerry Jones in the fact that Jerry loves talking to the news, and a lot of time the media and journalists actually help Jerry Jones get out of bad situations because he's liked by them. Snyder's the opposite. like He just doesn't want to talk to the camera. Still got the ego, though. No, he's got the ego, yeah. George Michael, not the singer... Um, he was actually a DC area reporter said that if you put a camera on him, it's like watching someone on the witness stand and the reporter is the prosecutor. That's his (laughs) friend, by the way, this guy actually likes Dan Snyder. They consider themselves friends and that's what he said about him. He had a, he really had no clue what he was doing at that point when he got the team, but he was just very, he, it was just like this wonderful moment for him because he is a huge Redskins fan. Like he loves the team and now he's in charge of it. Um, well, you know, I also, I think that's terrible that I will say to get on the soapbox, you know, if you're a super huge fan of a team and you own that team, like I just feel like that messes up every decision you make afterwards because you're going to do things you shouldn't do because you're not thinking about it like a business. You're thinking about it like your fantasy football team. That's a, I think that's a fair assessment based on what we'll talk about later. You mean like every decision he's made? Yeah. 
so he was not scheduled to take over until July of that year. Um, but uh, in the meantime, he started working on um, a charitable organization for the Redskins. So Redskins Charities, um, he started that because at the time, Jack Kit Cook didn't really give a crap about charity. Other teams were starting to do like charitable organizations. Jack Kent Cook was old school, didn't care about it, but Dan Snyder got in, and that's one thing that he did do that's positive. Tax write-offs, man. Well, I, once again, I'll, I'm just being a I was going to say, once again, I'll sympathize with that only because he grew up in the area and he didn't have a lot of money, so he really wanted to see the team that he loved give back to the community for people that were like him at that time. For all the millionaires out there, this is for you. <laughs> yeah. So to pay down some of the debt, because obviously he still had a little bit of a debt problem since he borrowed so much money, he sold 15% of the team to a Florida real estate developer, Dwight Shar, 15% to another Florida businessman, Robert Rotham, and 5% to Frederick W. Smith, who was the founder of FedEx. Snyder kept 65% of the team's ownership. And team value increased over $100 million in the first year of Snyder's ownership. The team, um, even with as bad, and that's something that hasn't changed, even with the team as like lackluster as it's been over the last 20 years, it's always grown in value. That's one thing that the Redskins have going for them is they're always worth a lot of money. In fact, they're the third highest grossing team behind the Cowboys and the Patriots. That doesn't make any sense, dude. That's it's a it's a historic franchise. Like it's it's a big deal in the East. Just because I'm the only Redskins fan, you know, doesn't mean it's a big deal. Not a big deal. Um, it also doesn't make sense that like of all the teams in places, the the Redskins have like the least name that matches up to the area. Like that team's in Washington D.C. and they're the Redskins. They could have literally picked so many other names. I mean, that name came about. I mean, I know he didn't name it. Yeah. But I'm just saying, you know, even in the thirties, they had patriotism. You know, you didn't have to go full, full blown racism. We're not talking about the name yet. I'm not bringing, we're not talking about the name. All right. Um, so, so far, like when he first took over, a lot of the stuff that he had done was relatively positive, but, Obviously, that's going to change because the fans don't like him now. So you got to ask, why don't the fans like him now? And that is why I'm going to give you a brief timeline summary. Well, not brief. This is actually pretty long. But a summary timeline of decisions that Dan Snyder has made to basically kill the Washington Redskins. So um, when he is the first one buying the team. <laughs> <laughs> actually, we might as well say yes. Um when he finally took over the team, so this is in July, things didn't start out too great. Um, going back to the Milsteins, when he was working with the Milsteins, he met a guy named Vinny Serato. So uh, Vinny had previously worked with the Milsteins when they tried to purchase the Jaguars, which is one of the reasons why the owners didn't like him. They felt like they were just trying to get in the NFL business to get into it because they had tried to buy the Jaguars previously. And then they jumped as soon as the Redskins were for sale. So owners didn't feel like they had the right motivation. It's kind of like there's only a limited amount of teams that go for sale. Like if I wanted to buy a team, I would do the same thing. Oh, I I a hundred percent agree. But you have to remember a lot of those owners are super smug about their teams. Like they think they're like Kings. So Vinny Serato, um, if they if they had got the Jaguars, Serato was going to be named the GM of the Jaguars. When that deal fell through, Serato took a job with the 49ers. When the Browns were coming back in '99, um, a lot of the front office from the 49ers got pulled into the Browns organization, and so when that happened the owner of the 49ers decided to change up his front office and Serato was out of a job. Um, luckily for him though, Snyder had remembered Vinny was impressed with him. And as soon as he got the chance and realized that Vinny didn't have a job, he asked him to help in the Redskins front office. So Vinny went out to Redskins park and started watching film uh, in the, in the film room 
And he was just starting to do some scouting and look at the team and study it. And everything was going to good. He did that for, for a little bit of time until general manager Charlie Casterly walked in. The guy that was actually the current general manager of the Redskins because Vinny Serrato didn't have a technical job yet. He was just a guy that Dan had invited in to watch film. So, That's awkward. So Charlie Casterly walks in and basically tells Serrato, you need to get the hell out of here. Um, and so Serato left. Well, that was strike one against Charlie Casserly, and then strike two and three against Casserly, like, where as soon as Snyder got into office, into the front office, he realized that Casserly and Coach Norv Turner didn't get along at all. And Snyder ended up choosing North Turner over Casserly because he had Serato waiting in the wings. So he came in, fired Charlie Casserly, who had done a great job as general manager. If you look back at the moves he made, he was great. He fired him and kept North Turner and hired Vinny Serato as the um, new general manager. Yeah, and those, those seem like solid decisions. Not, not really. So even though he did that, it didn't mean that him and Norv Turner were buddy-buddy. He just chose him that one time over it. But he actually put Norv Turner on the hot seat as soon as he got there. Um, Snyder even told Norv that if he didn't make the playoffs that year, which was 1999, if he didn't make the playoffs in 1999, he would have been fired. Wow, that's kind of first kinda day high, on uh, office. Yeah, first day. Yeah, that's kind of high standard. Most people that are smart over. that run businesses are like, I'm going to stay in the background for the first month or so and just kind of watch how things work. Nah, Nor uh, Dan, Dan came in and was like, "Sorry, Norv, if you don't get this team to the playoffs, you're out of here." Grab a bag of pretzels and get the hell out of here. Grab oh wait, <laughs> yeah, I don't own the pretzel company. Luckily for Norv, the team actually uh, clinched the first playoff berth they had in seven years in 1999. Oh, wait, wait. So, I didn't know about that. So, they hadn't made the playoffs in seven years, and he immediately came in and threatened his job if they didn't make the playoffs? Yes. I mean, I guess... It makes sense when you say it like that. I mean, I'm like, yeah, that actually seems okay. I mean, it, it does, but... Also, I didn't know how long nerve torn, nerve, how long he had been there, and stuff like that. So I remember for some reason I was thinking in my head he'd only been there. You know, he hadn't been there that long. No, he had been there since I think ninety five or ninety six. Oh well, then yeah, that that's a reasonable um, request then. So I'm gonna have to look that up, but I'm gonna keep going. Uh, so they lost to the Buccaneers in the divisional round of that playoffs. And I remember this game very vividly to describe what happened at the end. Brad Johnson, uh, led the team down to field goal position. They send the field goal kicker out there and, uh, Brad Johnson, that was back when your quarterback held the, held the kick. So Brad Johnson, um, was back there holding a kick. It was a bad snap. He ended up having to pick the ball up to try to throw it for a touchdown to win instead of the field goal. It didn't work, and they lost the game. That reminded me of remember that year that um, Tony Romo ended up like going in as a or from the backup, and he still had to hold the ball like the rest of the season. Yeah, it was basically that. Okay, so just to clean up something on the back end, then North Turner was actually uh, became the Redskins head coach in '94, so he'd been there five years. Yeah, that's a that's all kind of reasonable then. So um, in interviews. Several years after he leaves the Redskins, Norv Turner would come out and say that after that first year, he really wanted to leave the team because he didn't like Dan Snyder and Dan Snyder was causing a bunch of turmoil, but he stayed because his son had just become the starting quarterback at the local high school in Maryland. So he didn't want to uproot his family. So he's like, I'll give it a year to see if it works out. You know, I mean, if you make it as a starter on one team, you could probably go to another team. It's high school. True, but he just didn't want to uproot his family. Uh, During that same year, Snyder was uh, making some pretty big changes to the stadium as well. First, he paid $200 million to rename the stadium to FedEx Field. Um, And that was because the guy that started FedEx owned 5% of the company and he just wanted that extra money from Wait, advertising. So he, 
he paid it or FedEx paid it? He paid it. But wouldn't FedEx pay for that? No, he he had to pay for that because of the way that the system works on renaming the stadiums. Now, FedEx might have recuperated or like given it back to him, but at the time, he has to pay that out of pocket. I thought the whole point of the naming was so you get Well, you the make money. money as each game that's played there and stuff, you make money. So I'm sure they helped him, but the way it's written, he actually paid the money. That don't make no sense. Um, as part of the deal, a former college in Memphis Showboats, one of the USFL teams, uh, their former coach, Pepper Rogers, was named as FedEx's representative um, because the stadium was based out of his hometown of Memphis. So That guy's name was Pepper? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he attended every home game um, while he was basically FedEx's mascot. So it was like, oh, Pepper Rogers here representing FedEx. It was a weird move. That, that sounds like the greatest job that makes absolutely no yeah, sense that, whatsoever. It was one of those things that I read it and then I cocked my head like a confused Labrador. I was like, that's a weird move to bring in an old coach as like a mascot for a company at a stadium. It's weird. Yeah, he just walk around in a FedEx polo and like smile and wave. And- ha, I'm Pepper Rogers. I imagine this was an overweight guy because all coaches, you know, are overweight. And he's just got this white polo on that's just got a stain like around in the stomach somewhere. And he's just standing on the field, like <laughs> kind of just walking around, like waving at people and just kind of standing around. The guy in the stands with his son, they walk out into the concourse. They're walking, walking, walking. And they see him. The, the dad's like, holy crap, that's Pepper Rogers. And the son goes, who? And they walk up to him, and they're like, hey, Pepper, can we take a picture with you? And Pepper says, sure, but have you heard about a company called FedEx? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like people are like, who's that guy down there? Like, he would blend in, like, with if he's wearing normal clothes. Like, it just like, oh, there's an extra guy on the sideline. No one would notice him. Like, I, I don't get it. Unless he was, I, like, dressed like a FedEx man. Honest to God, I can't explain that move. But it's probably, I assume it's something that the FedEx guy wanted and they worked out a deal to get old Pepper Rogers in the stands. Don't understand. So for the 2000 season, Dan began charging $10 to enter open training camp practices. He figured that big draft picks like LeVar Arrington and Chris Samuels or some of the big free agent pickups that he had, like Deion Sanders... Bruce Smith or or Jeff George would excite and get the fans into practice. Attendance wasn't a huge turnout. Um, It wasn't the huge turnout that Dan expected, though, because no one had ever charged money to go to training camp. Like at the time, training camp was always free. And here come the Redskins putting a $10 tab on it just because he was like, hey, they want to meet our players. And the other thing that he did that people didn't like at that time is he also charged $10 for parking to go to training camp. Another thing that people just didn't do. Yeah, I know that's... You worked next to an NFL company or an NFL team. Did they charge to go to training camp when you were there? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I didn't really... I didn't work for them, yeah. so... um, They had permits and stuff that they gave people, but... I don't think there was any money exchange, um, at least that I saw. I don't think they paid for parking. Um, they had stuff that was scanned, and then but they had to have a ticket to get into the training camp. I don't think they do that anymore, though. Texans started doing the out-of-state thing. Yeah, I remember I went to a Cowboys training camp a lot of years ago. My mom won tickets on the radio, and we're like, hey, let's go, because it was in the – no, that was in Dallas at the time. Bill Parcells was his coach. So, uh, actually, I met Jerry Jones, but that's a whole other story. Um, but, yeah, I remember we got tickets to go to that from the radio. I don't know if we paid for it, but it seemed to me like it was kind of like a lottery system. Like, you put in that you wanted I tickets, and how it you was. either get them or you don't. I think that's how it was. But, I, I mean, I again, I don't know. I just knew people <laughs> what people had. I don't know how they got them. Not to talk about Jerry Jones again, but... That man is one of the greatest at, when you meet him, making you feel like you're important, like he's actually talking to you. It's really weird. He's got a talent for it. Some people are just like that. I mean, he's you know, you very, gotta be very personable. Charismatic. I mean, Hitler couldn't have taken, you know, control over Germany if, you know, he was an introvert. 
Yeah, so Jerry, if he wanted to take over the country, probably could. <laughs> Instead of being Nazis, it'd be cowboys. Yeah, yeah. Everybody walking around with the, the stars on their shoulders. His SS unit's <laughs> called the stars. <laughs> Send in my stars. Bring them with loafers. Um, so for that year, the team got off to a one and two start. The kicker at the time was Brett Conway. This is the guy that kind of had the botched field goal the previous season. Uh, in the second game of the season, he strained his quadricep. So tell me if this sounds like bad, bad practice. But he was called into the office um, right after he got hurt and told by the salary cap expert that they had to cut him. Apparently, they did not have the cap space to wait for him to heal, even though it was only going to be a couple of weeks. That's I mean, that's kind of a dick move because it hurts your recovery because you don't have access to any of the facilities to do that. So, And there's several other things wrong with it, too. Like, usually the coach is supposed to be the – at least sending the special teams coach to be like, hey, bro, I'm sorry this is happening. Not the salary cap guy. Like, he doesn't know the salary cap guy. Yeah, and it seems very impersonal when you already made the team, right? Yeah, like, this is the third – you're going into the third game of the season. Also, usually no one cuts anybody if they um, just because they got like a minor injury. It's usually like if you're never gonna play again, kind of thing. But most of the time, teams are pretty good natured and they, you know, put you on the IR so you can at least get insurance. Well, not the Redskins. So the Skins would go on to sign four more kickers that year. One of them was a 44-year-old Eddie Murray, and we'll talk about him in a second. But the Redskins would go on to win the next five games to get to six and two. Um, so things were going really well. They followed the winning streak uh, five games by a losing streak of four out of their next five. Hey, I mean, you know, you can get hot and cold. They were yes and no, or in and out. out yes and no. On December 3rd, the Skins uh, were down 10 to nine. Uh, this is late in the season, down 10 to nine, still in the playoff hunt. And North Turner sent out uh, Murray to attempt a 49-yard game-winning kick. This is just some dude at this point. They probably found it's like the 44-year-old. It's the 44-year-old so. kicker. Okay, I can see this not ending, you know, badly at all. So let me paint you a picture of one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. They line up to kick the field goal. The holder gets down on his knee, takes one look at Murray, calls a timeout. Uh, uh, oh i imagine this guy was probably like drunk or something so the holder runs over to norv and tells him like hey man he can't make this like he's not a bad kicker but he just doesn't have the leg for this anymore so uh turner decided not to listen to his holder sent him back out there again and murray missed the kick i'm 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 wondering what, like, if he saw the look in the guy's eyes or the guy when he was doing it, he's like, I'm not going to freaking make this. He probably watched him in practice, like, <laughs> having struggling to hit, like, 40 yarders. Is like, wait, what are we doing? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, after the game, North Turner was fired, even though the team's record was seven and six. Wow. That sounds like a Redskins move. So with the team still in the playoff hunt, reports began to come out that they were going to bring in Pepper Rogers as the head coach for the rest of the season. Wait, who is this guy? He was like a, a semi-pro coach, right? He was right? the coach for the Memphis Showboats, and uh, which was the USFL team. And let me go back to my notes real quick. That, that seems like a justifiable you know, step in the he right direction. He was also the Georgia Tech coach. So he was he coached Georgia Tech, coached the Memphis Showboats, and the reports came out that he was going to be the head coach for the rest of the season. So he was going from mascot to head coach. <laughs> Luckily, what if they, what if they have to play called like you know the FedEx, <laughs> FedEx, Y two FedEx banana? But it didn't work because it was always a throwing play. <laughs> so. Luckily, or maybe unluckily, I don't who who knows who cares. It turns out that most of those reports were um, were not completely true, or I don't know if Pepper just didn't want the job. But uh, Terry Rabisky was actually named the interim head coach, so the Pepper Rogers thing didn't didn't pull through. Hell, if I'm making money just to stand on the sideline and do absolutely nothing, 
I don't want to be no head coach when I know I'm probably going to fail. <sighs> so that brings us to the final couple of games with my friend Terry Rabriskie. I don't know. Terry Rabriskie is one of those guys that you've definitely seen before, but you just wouldn't know it. I'm pretty sure he's coached on every team at this point. His name's familiar, but I, I'm not getting it. Yeah, any. if you look up a picture of him, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I've seen that guy. <laughs> so, Rabisky's most well-known for benching Brad Johnson for Jeff George, um, a move that at the time was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen because Brad Johnson was still a pretty good quarterback. He wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible. But it was Dan Snyder that really wanted that to happen because he had paid so much money for Jeff George in the offseason. In an interview, um, in a press conference interview during that season, Rabisky once said, quotes, if Mr. Snyder wants me to put my desk out in the hallway, I'll put it out in the hall. Oh, yeah. and so he was a puppet So he coach was a Jason Garrett. In the, in the hall. Um, well, you know, I wonder how many coaching firings are not because the team's not successful, but just because – the owners making them, telling them to do something and they're putting their foot down. Unfortunately, it's probably more than it which needs in to hindsight be. that sounds more like the the Norv Turner situation than Yeah, cuz Norv was not a bad coach. I hated when they fired Norv Turner because he wasn't he wasn't spectacular, but the team was keeping their heads above water and they weren't that talented of a team. They were old. I mean, Deion Sanders, Bruce Smith, those are your big names you're rolling out there. Jeff George, Brad Johnson. Not a not a young squad. Uh, hey man, you know you got a consistency. So experience, man. You don't need all them young guns going around. Actually, I think now when I'm looking at, it, he seems to like to spend a lot of money on old players. Oh yeah, that's a common theme. Or players that have like character issues that everybody knows about. Albert Hainsworth. Or you know, yeah, or people that beat women. And and unproven, but yes, Reuben Foster. As much as I joke about like covering for him, yes, it's the same thing. Like he's an hey. asshole, but the Redskins are going to pay him. Hey, you know, Kareem Hunt to the Redskins. Oh God, don't wish that. Don't wish that voodoo on me. <laughs> so players did not. Uh, they didn't really embrace their new coach because I think partly because they were mad that Norv got. Fired and partly because Terry Rabisky was a spineless coward. Yeah, I think the only reason to really make a change in the middle of a season is if the coach lost the locker room, or you know that the, this team's not performing well and you need kind of like a little bit of a spark. Because sometimes it doesn't help. Like if your team sucks, it just sucks, and changing out the coach ain't gonna do nothing. Or sometimes you have a coach that you know only won one game and or two games in like three years. And then you fire him and immediately we start winning. Yeah, this is not what's going to happen here. Uh, they didn't speak out against him because, and I think that's, this is me making a stretch, but I think one of the reasons why they, the, the locker room didn't fully combust that year and the reason they didn't speak out against him is because there were so many veteran players on that team that it actually kept people calm. Like, Deion Sanders was in his 30s. Bruce Smith was like 34. I mean, they had some older guys that could, could I can't not. Imagine. There weren't really people that would talk out against coaches. Um, Deion? Deion in his later years was not like Deion with the 49ers and Falcons. He was pretty calm when he was with Washington. He ain't calm when he's on TV every day. He's or whatever once just a, a week. good time. Uh, in, in Jeff George's first game, or no, I'm sorry. I skipped ahead. In Rabisky's first game as head coach, the skins got beat by the Cowboys 32, 13. That was also the first game Jeff George started at one point in the game. Jeff George was harassed by Ebenezer Ekubon, one of the Cowboys that, defensive linemen. What? Ebenezer, what? Ebenezer Ekubon. You don't remember Ebenezer? That- I feel like I should. That name, like, should make him like all of us, like on er- the, you know, everybody should know who that guy is. That Ebenezer. Who the hell names are kid Ebenezer? The Ekubans. <laughs> so anyway, oh. <laughs> at one point in the game, Jeff George got completely manhandled by Ebenezer Ekubon. He was dragged on the field, 
and he was dragged around on the field and not one of the Redskins offensive players or Jeff George's teammates came out to help him or fight Ekebon after off him. They just like would watched you, Jeff George get manhandled. Would you say he was a real Scrooge? <laughs> uh, the next week, the Skins got just demolished by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And for the last game of the season, Rubisky brought Brad Johnson back out there and they beat the Cardinals 20 to three. Huh. So the it skins seems almost like they it seems almost like, you know, they might have like they maybe shouldn't have benched him for Jeff George. Yeah. Yeah, the team ended up finishing eight and eight and missing the playoffs. Um going into the two thousand one season, the first thing on uh the first thing on the to do list for the team was to get rid of Rabisky. He was not gonna be the head coach. That was painfully obvious because of the last three games of the season. I also enjoyed how they were seven and six and fired their coach and then only won one more game. Yeah, they're they're idiots. Um, so news came out that the Redskins wanted to interview Marty Schottenheimer, Marty Ball, for the head coaching position. Uh, Marty at the time was working for ESPN, and uh, they asked about his ESPN asked him about his interest in returning to coaching. He said that he would never work for an owner like Dan Snyder. Soon after, he's announced as the Redskins head coach. I knew as soon as you said that, I was like, this is going to be some It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia type yep. stuff. Like The gang gets <laughs> hired by Dan Snyder. <laughs> wow. He's probably like, I would never work for that guy. And then he like shows him a large oversized check like in Happy Gilmore. And the guy's like, I will work for Dan Snyder. Exactly. Uh, in his first press conference as the coach, he said that Dan was an engaging guy and totally committed to winning. Wow, I feel, man, he like they. I now I'm thinking he might just been brainwashed. <laughs> in Vinny Serrato's first interview after the hiring, he came out and praised it, saying, "I know Marty." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's high praise. <laughs> I know this guy. He, I, I think it was more along the lines of like, "Oh, he's awesome. I know Marty." Uh, Marty was then asked about what he knew about Vinny Serrato in another interview shortly after that, and he said he didn't know him, and uh, Schottenheimer fired him soon after. <laughs> so when Schottenheimer got there, they gave him control of player personnel. like the whole, They made him basically like the co-GM with Serrato. But they gave the only, I think this is like the only reason that Schottenheimer took the team to you or took the deal was because they basically gave him control of everything. So they give Marty, they give Marty control of everything. And Vinny Serrato comes out. It's like, Oh yeah, this is awesome. I know Marty. Great guy. There's no way he's going to fire me. And then Vinny got fired. That's pretty funny. Um, also like, I wonder if he actually did know him and just didn't, or it's, I wonder if it's one of those where like guy thought he knew him, but he, you know, the other guy didn't know that the other guy thought he knew him kind of situation. Or if he just said that because he hated it. I have no idea. It's still funny. There's nothing like having public contradictory statements. Um, so it was it was already a shit show like the first week that Marty was there. Uh, Marty Ball didn't start too well in D.C. The team started out 0-3. One of the worst losses in that streak was a 37 to nothing blowout to the Packers. Wow, they, they really got their cheese packed uh soon after that game jeff george was cut off the team was he the quarterback yeah, he was the quarterback that we talked about from the previous season i meant like was he the yes yes he was, was, he the, starting? He was starting at okay. that time he was cut why yeah it's a great question uh when snyder was asked about the poor start he said y'all didn't want me to meddle marty schottheimer's record is impeccable i believe in him we almost have a little more faith that we do. Joe Gibbs. Wait, what? Can you repeat that? He, we almost. He said, we all must have a little more faith that we do. I think that's supposed to say uh, that we all. I'm sorry. That's a typo. It's supposed to be. We all must have a little more faith than we do. I mean, it's still but, a bad um, sentence, but yeah. yeah, that's what he said. That. That's. It sounds like he's intentionally setting his team up to not do good so he can come in and pretend to save it. Uh, the quote keeps going. He says, Joe Gibbs was 0-5 his first year here. We need to give Coach Schottenheimer a little more time. 0-3 uh, soon became 
and then they were down 14 to nothing to Carolina, about to go 0-6, when LeVar Arrington picked off a pass and returned it for a touchdown. That started a comeback uh, in that game, and they ended up winning to get to 1-5. So they start out 1-5 under Marty Schottenheimer. You know, hey, I mean, he's following Joe Gibbs' footsteps. Right after after that win, things start heating up for the Skins. Ended up getting to five and five that year, so they're the first team to ever start zero and five and get back to five and five. Would you say they got sunburnt? I don't know, because the Skins were heating up. You get oh, it? I, I, you I get, get it? it now, you, yeah. You, you get it? Uh, as all this was going on, Snyder kept going back and forth to Florida Gator games. People thought that was weird. Like, why does he keep flying back to go watch the Florida Gators? He's not a Florida fan. What's he doing? That was Those were all questions that were coming that's up at the a, time. That's a little peculiar. When asked why, he told reporters that he was trying to get in on some early scouting. But owners don't <laughs> typically scout, <laughs> scout. And I'm pretty sure if he went up and, like, I'm pretty sure he's not even allowed to talk to college players. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird move. It's like, hey, who's this like guy that looks like he's got a lot of money talking to all these college players down here? Oh no, oh it's Dan Snyder, you know. It's like, should he be doing that? Uh, probably not. So that starts maybe the darkest timeline I can remember in Redskins history. Um, the Redskins finished that season after starting out after being five and five. They finished eight and eight. And the reports start coming out that Dan Snyder is interested in hiring Steve Spurrier as his head coach. Ooh. The, I mean, technically, you know, Steve Spurrier isn't, wasn't a bad coach. Well, we'll so. get there. This led to a week of talks between Dan and Marty where Dan tried to get some of the personnel control back that he gave Marty when he hired him at the beginning of the season. <laughs> I just can't imagine you having a convers like an owner having a conversation with a coach and like getting to like blows begging for control of his. This team is back. the difference between him and Jerry, though. Jerry, as bad as he's done over the years, he's consistent in the fact that he will always have control. Dan Snyder, on the other hand, entices great coaches by to come in there by saying, yeah, I'll give you full control of the roster. You have full control of the front office. Do what you need to do to make me a winner. And then as soon as it doesn't lead to a playoff berth in their first year, he starts trying to fire him. And that's exactly what happened to Marty. Like Marty got the team to eight and eight after they started 0 and five. That's actually pretty damn good. Most people were kind of excited about that. They're like, Hey, we figured it out next season. We'll keep the ball rolling and things are going to be great. But there wasn't a next season because shortly after Schottenheimer and Dan decided to uh, go their separate ways because he didn't want to give Dan Snyder control of the team back. Well, hell, if I sign a contract saying, like, this is what I can do, and that was the whole reason I came there, I wouldn't sign that up. I'd be like, why the hell are you asking this? Like, let me do my thing, brah. Yeah, it wasn't a it – was, it was bad. So that left Snyder with a huge um, – basically a huge check to pay off because he had – he fired uh, Schottenheimer with three years left on a four-year contract. That's so stupid. Like, he has to – be I that's that's what I'm saying he's like a kid playing fantasy football he, it's just it's stupid yep he's not running it like a business he's not like sometimes coaches run it I mean our owners run it too much like a business and sometimes they run it too much like it's their own you know personal play thing a la Jerry Jones but he just seems stupid after that, Steve Spurrier was signed to a five-year, $25 million contract. Um, I don't remember him coaching. That's why I made my comment earlier. You don't remember when he was the coach of the Redskins? I don't. I thought he went from Florida to Carolina. Well, then that's fun because that means the next episode, part two of the Dan Snyder story, is going to be a whole lot of fun for you because we'll start up with Steve Spurrier. That's oh, right. Boy. It's a two-parter. Surprise, bitches. I'm I'm surprised. I'm doing Macaulay Culkin face right now. Not I'm not doing his face. I'm you know reenacting the face. I need a clarification on that. 
So uh, we'll see you guys next week. We're going to talk. We're going to start right up into Steve Spurrier's time with the Redskins and talk a little bit about what happened from 2002 to current and why the Redskins still suck. We're talking about Steve Spurrier up until current? Well, you mean the great beer? We're talking about the Redskins from 2002 to 2019 and why Dan Snyder has screwed the team up time and time again. But we're starting with Steve Spurrier. Can you just read like some quotes from him on that episode? They don't have to be from when he was on the Redskins, but he had some great coaches or some great quotes throughout his life. I, I won't. I'll paraphrase the quote I once heard him say because he's a brilliant, brilliant mind. But one time he said that you should always water the field with the Dosekis. Oh wait, that was Les Miles. Stupid commercials. <laughs> hey, uh, the that one, the one that always cracked me up. Though I forget what school it was when they like asked him. He's like, "Well, what do you think about their, you know, their library burning down?" And he's like, "Well, it's a shame. Only half the coloring books were colored in." <laughs> Oh, that was, that was funny. very heavily was, paraphrased. Yeah, was, that was. I remember it was that. very. It was very dirty. <laughs> oh, that was a big burn. All right, y'all. To the books, also. Go color in your coloring books. Don't burn down any libraries. And we'll see you next week for part two of Dan Snyder. My dog is currently ripping up one of the pages we've already read. He doesn't like Snyder either. Well, your dog ate your homework. He's definitely eating my. Oh, I'm gonna have to clean this up. It's a mess. All right, we'll see y'all later. <laughs> Bye. Bye.